0: so about halfway through the pregnancy there was a lump on my neck that came out of nowhere but the lump wasn't going away so I was like right it's three weeks now it's still there didn't get it checked obviously which was my biggest regret but then my husband kept saying to me please go please go and I said ah it's fine it's fine but look it's kind of a denial mode I was in a little bit of denial there but I knew I kind of knew what it was
1: hello and welcome to this week's episode of gary talks in this episode i'm delighted to be joined on the show by nutritional therapist virginia zulu who i first met and became good friends with during covid when she started hosting italian cook-along demonstrations with my wife on zoom virginia is originally from sardinia and she has a wealth of experience in the health and wellness industry providing corporate workshops, cookery classes, consultations, health talks, and so on. But there is so much more to her story. She originally came to Ireland as a teenager to find work in what was quite a traumatic experience. When she was pregnant with her first child, she was diagnosed with cancer. She has fought the hard battle in starting a business as a sole trader during a global pandemic, and has embraced all the challenges as an entrepreneur in establishing the brand, marketing the business, scaling to generate sales and grow her customer base. Whilst being a mummy of two young boys and now starting a second business too. Running a business on your own is really hard. It's time consuming. It's risky. There are sacrifices. You need to invest in both business and self-development. But it can be done. So let's hear how Virginia has done it. This is one I think you will really enjoy. So please sit back, relax and enjoy. This is a GK Media podcast. <laughs> Virginia Zulu, buongiorno.
0: Buongiorno.
1: <laughs> oh, you say it much better than me. You're a nutritional therapist, highly experienced in the health and wellness industry for over 10 years. You've seen it all or you've seen a lot. So I think it's interesting if we tell the story of how you and I first met. It was during um, a time of entrepreneurism, shall we say, how we actually kind of got to know each other. So we're going back really to 2020. Covid time. Mm.
0: Yes. So how we met. I met um, Gary's wonderful wife first, Chiara, over Instagram. And I always say we're going to talk about the power of social media as well. But we were cooking together. So through COVID, we really enjoyed doing our lives on Instagram. We made some lovely dishes, traditional Italian dishes, and people were loving it. So there was loads of engagement. And that's how I met Chiara over Instagram. And then after COVID, then when finally we could meet in person, that's yeah. how Ian and Gary met. So
1: Yeah, it was very strange from an outside perspective for me. So During COVID, my wife's business closed down. So overnight she was out of work and she was on the PUP and to keep herself sane, she set up a social media account called the Italian Irish Mama. And she just started befriending people, including yourself. It's very weird because it was becoming friends with someone on social media, having never met that person before. Yourself and Chiara just ended up running Italian workshops where you were going on zoom people were joining you and you were cooking various dishes like it could be your your italian starter your italian manger italian dessert this is when lockdown, when no one could really go anywhere and we loved zoom back then so people were just going online and cooking along with you in their own kitchens at home and it was cool and i thought well wow, this is going to be a great road to go down for yourself and care like once Places open again you're going to be on the road you're going to be in Wicklow one day doing cooking demonstrations you'll be in Cork another evening and yeah I just saw money rolling in and then never <laughs> opened and everyone just kind of went back to what they were normally doing before Covid yeah. well
0: I think one of the thing is we forget that during Covid we had time to sit yeah. to think and even you know walk around watch nature more and now i think we're coming back to that little bit of hectic hectic life and not being able to slow down again
1: it's good though because you're you're still in touch and you're meeting later to walk the prom in galway yes and have brunch and stuff so it's it's lovely how a friendship developed out of just two people connecting on instagram during covid and and trying to both probably stay sane with kids driving you up the walls
0: <laughs> yes in the house all the time yeah yeah
1: let's go back then to yourself growing up in sardinia what was life were you big into healthy eating and foraging and all that
0: life was brilliant yes so i had a great childhood great memories school memories family memories it was family is a big thing back home in sardinia so we had our Christmas with each granny. So we had one of the granny for uh, Christmas Day and then Stevenson's Day was the other granny. And my cousin's was really, really good childhood. Happy, all I can say, really good life. And it was that slow peace as well. Although like my mom and dad both worked, I went into crash, but it was different. It was more of a slow peace life, which is probably something that I miss a little bit. Mm. But I'll try to implement Myself now as much as I can, but life was great.
1: But when your parents come over here, do they feel that life, the pace of life here, is much faster than it was for them? Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, although they worked both full time, but I think because here a lot of things are different. Childcare here is completely different. Like you're well taken care of in Italy. When for moms that want to go back to work, there is full time childcare free sometimes. So that really takes the pressure off the parents Mm. Uh, when you know your child and also the parent, like the grandparents looked after me and there's all that family bond that really helps and support. The support is amazing. Mm. But yeah, great life. And what, what was like, yes, I was always out. Nature, with my bike, with my neighbour, friends and always out in nature. There wasn't a time where I was in the house because the weather is so good. (laughs) So I was always, even during the winter, out outside, play, discover. And where I lived, there's loads of nature around. So always outside.
1: Because people with the best longevity in the world, the majority of them has been proven come from Sardinia.
0: Yeah, well, Sardinia is part of the blue zone. So one of the islands from the Blue Zone, it's part of the Blue Zone research. There's actually a book, if you want to read that, but the Blue Zone, yeah, Sardinia. So it's for, it's the Midlands, actually, the longest centenarium of the whole world are in Sardinia. And definitely the quality of life has to do with that, 100%. Food, of course, but quality of life, yeah.
1: And break that down more, what defines quality of life?
0: So it's the balance between like their work at the time, they were mainly farmers, you know, so it's the bonding with family as well and their relationship with others. So being kind, always kind and open their doors to strangers, even, you know, like, let's go and have a big lunch. You know, there wasn't any big trouble like, you know, oh, I have to go at five o'clock, I have to do this, I have to do this. No, it was just very easy and relaxed and OK, well, let's just come and don't stress about how the house looked if it mm. wasn't tidy. It was that sense of relaxing that even put yourself at ease in life. So I think that's the slow piece, the less stress, you know, about. But they still worked. They were working more like all day to go and feed the animals. And yeah, so farming work would be the main one around the time anyway, years ago. But yeah, they're happy and they have their whole family around. Mm. So connection, nurturing relationship and quality of support.
1: So you were probably not intentionally interested in healthy eating. It was just part of your natural lifestyle growing up.
0: Yeah, my diet was always, my mom always home cooked her meals. There was very little waste and everything was locally grown and all the cheeses come from my mom's hometown and we knew who, who, uh, you know, the farmers even. So it was normal to eat natural food. You're
1: you're eating food in season as well. I think that's a big thing. Yes. You know, you're not eating strawberries in January.
0: Oh, I always say strawberry in December. That's my motto. Don't eat strawberry in December <laughs> for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, they're not in season. So mm. you're not going to get much health benefits flavor, first of all, because they're not going to taste particularly nice. But you're not getting any health benefits. And then we're destroying nature because the moment we buy a thing in the supermarket, we're asking the supplier to produce more. That's it. We're asking them, OK, I want this in December. You have to make more. So it's our choice. By buying the strawberry in December, we're sending a message as consumer. Okay, we want more strawberry in December. So that's destroying nature because those strawberries need to be on a polytunnel, obviously heated, so that's electricity. So it's not very sustainable as well as part of, you know, health perspective. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you say about growing up in Sardinia and having that support, you know, being surrounded by family yourself and your husband you're both from Sardinia yes (laughs) living in Ireland Mm. with no family around you no so that's a very different sort of way of living for both you and I suppose your two young sons
0: yeah very very difficult very difficult but we have again loads of support from our family that come over quite often to help us No matter what they have scheduled, uh, how busy their life is, they will always... That's what I mean about support. They will always find their time to come and help us Mm. when we need help. So that's part of the support we have as families,
1: yeah. Has it been difficult? Like, I know you said it's been difficult, but how has it affected you?
0: In the past, without kids, I suppose, probably a little bit easier. Like, the first three years, I would have struggled because I wanted to go back home. I think they say for expats... They say the first two years are the most difficult one. and But if you're not back home by the second year, that means you've made it. So the first two years, they say it's really hard. Just adapting to new, even new climate for me was everything. I was like, I can't cope with all this rain. I think I got really depressed by year two. I think it was really bad summer. I moved in 2005, the end of 2005, and then my now husband was 2006, beginning of 2006. I think we had a really bad summer, 2008, I think it was, it rained the whole summer. And I couldn't go home because I was working, so I couldn't get any holidays. I just felt that cloud wouldn't shift. I was like, okay, I just want to go back home. But then I kept going and kept going, but I made lovely friends as well. I worked in a really good environment was really like I worked in cinema, so it was a okay. lot, yeah, um, UCI cinemas. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I met so many friends that I still keep in touch now. So I think that kept me going because I was very young. I was only 18 when I moved to Ireland.
1: Right, and why did you move to Ireland?
0: Because I, yeah, that's the other question. I didn't know what to do after my living cert. Well, the Italian, it's kind of called diploma in Italy, but it's your living cert. And I said, OK, what am I going to do? I didn't really know what to do in terms of university. And I said, OK, I want to learn English because that's one of the things that I think is going to help me for work and in the future. My dad found in a newspaper workplace here in Ireland to do au pair. Okay. Au pair work, yeah. And I always loved kids anyway, always. So I said, OK, well, maybe I could try that. And yeah, moved to Ireland then around November 2005, just October, end of October, start au pair. That was another start of my traumatic. I had a bit of traumatic journeys I along say, the is, line. Is
1: that a good story? Because I know there's a lot of dramatic stories for people who come over and become au pairs and it just, for want of another words, just house slaves.
0: No, I had a great experience. The family was lovely. Okay. But the problem is, when I came over to Ireland, the mother of the children was in a coma in the hospital. And in I was, a coma? Yeah, and I was never told about that. So we went through an agency But I was never told. So came to Ireland. Obviously, the dad picked me up and I didn't see the mum. And I said, where is the mum? And my English was not great. So I couldn't really understand. And then by the first week, I got to understand she was in the hospital. But I was never told. And she died the day of my birthday. Mm. Yeah, that was just, yeah. And I was very, still very young. I was only 18. So moving to a different country where I didn't know. Many words. Well, I studied in school, but it's, let's face it, when you come here and you hear all the accents, (laughs) you're like, oh dear. (laughs) Yes, I kept saying, yes, okay, yeah, okay, okay. No, no, no.
1: (laughs) Do we talk differently than what you'd expect?
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well, the English you learn in school is completely different. It's very plain. I do. (laughs) (laughs) The actual, you know, part of the learning is all about speaking and talking to people mm. so.
1: What's the hardest accent to understand in Ireland for you? Donegal. Okay.
0: Yeah Donegal I suppose. I worked in Dublin so I actually know I worked a good while in Dublin so the Dublin accent for me which it can be quite hard. Yes. Was the one I learned first and then moved to Kildare Not really a m- major accent but yeah and then the Cork one sometimes can be yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit but no Donegal and kind of the west of Ireland would be a little bit tricky sometimes but now obviously 17 years (laughs) i know them all
1: (laughs) so go back to so the mother sadly passed away what was your position then did you feel an obligation to stay on or
0: well they had the funeral and they were really lovely to me and actually i still can't find or can make connection with the children i'm still looking for the children but i can't find them would love to meet them again, but there was a series of events that happened and as, as far as I know, the dad passed away, but I, I have lost all contacts and I, you know, they moved home. I just, I would love to actually see them again, some mm-hmm. stage. They're in Ashburn, if anybody's, yeah.
1: <laughs> What's this, 2005? Yeah, the end of so 2005. So it's like 18 years ago, so they're f- fully grown up children now. They're they adults are, now. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. They were still small anyway, so now they're grown up adults. So I was hoping to find them on social media. But had a great time and they were lovely kids. But basically I was looking after them all day because the dad had a garage in Ashburn and he was working all day. So I ended up doing more kind of full time au pair. I really enjoyed it though. And I had a great bonding with the kids. So what happened after she died is just he couldn't keep me on because you know, a series of events and he said, I just can't keep you here anymore. And he was lovely. He really looked after us because then my now husband came over in January that year and he stayed a little bit in the house. And then, you know, he looked after us and said, look, just go and find, you can find a house here. So it really helped us to find an accommodation as well. But obviously with all the things he had going on, you can imagine Mm -hmm. the stress after losing his wife. So we did. We moved on then and we were happy though. We were treated really, really well. And he was a lovely person as well, to me anyway. And I just thought it was a lovely thing. I got to sit in front of the car at the funeral. So I was part of the family. Yeah, it was so nice though. Well, obviously not what happened to the mom, but it was lovely to be part of it even. That's why I would love to meet the kids, well, now adults.
1: Yeah. So did you feel then that you were having to part ways with like your Irish family as such?
0: Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, it was hard though, it was very hard. I think it was a bit traumatic for me because then after that he said, look, just take your holidays and go back home. So I did go back home for Christmas that year and I came back in January then. That's when my husband followed me. (laughs) But um, yeah, he allowed me to go home. He said, just go home now for your holidays. Don't stay here because there wasn't much point anyway.
1: So you went back to Sardinia and you met your now husband and you were telling him, oh, you got to come to Ireland. The weather's fantastic. It's so warm, the food <laughs> is even better than the Italian food. and Yeah,
0: no. <laughs> we met before, just before I moved and kind of kept in touch, I suppose. And then we met properly when I came back in December. And he had an idea of coming visiting. He actually had a return ticket, but never used the return ticket.
1: All right. Yeah, so
0: he came the end of January and he never used the return ticket. I think he was meant to stay for a couple of weeks and then, yeah, he just never came back. And he's still here. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: And what's his take on Ireland then in terms of climate and all that? Is he easier about it?
0: He actually loves Ireland. He's not really a warm climate person. You would think he's from Sardinia, but he likes the more cooler temperature. I miss the sun more than him. He likes the cooler temperature and especially for growing vegetables and things like that, You because know, it'd be very hard with 40 degrees back home. It's really hot. So he loves it. I think he settled quicker than how I did back. Uh, you know when, when we moved, yeah.
1: And do you think you'll retire in Ireland, spend your final days in Ireland? Or are you planning on getting that no. plane back to Sardinia?
0: I will go back, but I'll probably do. Tino. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> we agreed that yeah, we're gonna do Ireland and Sardinia at some point in our life when we're allowed to do that. But I definitely want to go back at least and spend some years like I would love to. But obviously I moved because of work as well. And the opportunities, unfortunately, aren't there for for a lot of people. But I will definitely want to come back at least share and share, you know, if I could do because I love Ireland as well. So if I could do part of the winter, maybe here and then move, I I'll definitely have plans now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It's something that amazes me about Italy and Sicily and Sardinia like such beautiful islands, such beautiful country. For me they have everything. They have the weather, they have the food, they have the wine, they have the history, the culture, the heritage. But there isn't much work.
0: No, not at all. And the work that is there is very underpaid. So I think you you have to see it from another eye. You'll see it all the beautiful, Italy's beautiful. All parts of Italy are But then looking from another eye, like from somebody that lived there, like it is beautiful, the food and all that. But why are there so many expats all over the world? Because it's not about so much the work is the money you get is really bad for what you do. So you're not really well paid, first of all, for the the work you do. But even even medical professionals, you know, would say that, you know, like my mom and dad would be my daddy's a physio. And my mom is a retired nurse. So even them, they would be like for the work they did, like they should be well more rewarded for that. But no, but they're happy at the same time. You know, there's a little bit of survival mode as well. So they survive sometimes rather than living. But I always say sometimes money isn't everything. So it's not about how much money you make is how you make the most of what you have. But the actual issue now is you can't find a job. The jobs are not there at all. So, yeah.
1: yeah. It's funny because I grew up in 80s Ireland where, you know, everyone was immigrating. It was, for me, the colour of Ireland in the 80s was just grey and dull and bleak. And now it's amazing to see how much the country has thrived and that you have people coming here to work when, you know, how how much it has changed in a couple of decades. And it's great because I think it's made the country so much more colourful as well. And we actually get to know what pasta sh- is supposed to taste like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as opposed to what we, we used to. I don't even think we, you know, the idea of eating pasta in the 80s even existed in no. Ireland, you know. No, no. Can you tell us about your cancer story?
0: So during 2016, when I was pregnant with my first child, I was already, I've always been very healthy and, you know, active as well. I used to be a weightlifter as well. We're well, not competitive, but I used to be weight, I've always been very health conscious. So about halfway through the pregnancy, there was a lump on my neck that came out of nowhere. And I, it wasn't uh, painful, but it was substantial lump. And I said, OK, what is this? I wasn't particularly worried because I have no symptoms. I was fine. So I was like, OK, well, maybe it's just immune system acting up during pregnancy, which can happen. But the lump wasn't going away. So I was like, right, it's three weeks now. It's still there. Didn't get it checked, obviously, which was my biggest regret. Not that I could have done anything different anyway, because I was pregnant. So very limited options during pregnancy. But then my husband kept saying to me, "Please go, please go," and I said, "Ah, it's fine, it's fine." But look, it's kind of a denial mode. I was in a little bit of denial there. So then in May, I came back home. I don't want to lose um, track, but I, my mind sometimes tends to forget, want to forget. Mm-hmm. But I went home as my mom had a hip operation. So I went. I was pregnant. I actually was feeling great. I had loads of energy. I sure flew back home and all on my own. I was fine. And so I went to say, you know, stay with her a little bit. And the problem is with the flights to get to Sardinia. So I had no direct flight and I had to stop by Milan. And my good friend said, just stay overnight with us. Who happened to be a doctor and happened to be specialized in lymphomas, which is the cancer I had. So stayed overnight on my way back. And then I met the dad. See, we're good friends as well with the dad and the family. So the dad is one of the head of the, um, one of the hospitals near Bergamo as well. And he said, Did you get that lung checked? The first time, the first minute he saw me, he said, Did you get that checked? And I said, No, why? Is there, all right, yeah, w- we'll talk to um, Alessandra, my friend, we'll talk to her when she comes home. And then I knew there was something there when he said that to me. So she came home and she said, Oh, did you get that checked? Obviously, she touched it, she felt and she was, Did you get that checked in Ireland? I said, No, no, really. Well, I think you should get that checked when you go back. So then I knew because I know where she specializes as well. All right, okay. And then I knew then by the night, she wasn't sad, but then, you know, overnight as well, when we stayed together, I could see she was very worried. There was a worry behind our eyes. I know she knew what I had, but she couldn't tell me. But she was worried. I know there was something up with her. You kind of know she wasn't herself during the night. You know, we were having dinner with her now husband, which is Irish and moved to Italy. That's the other story around lovely friendship but she said go and get a checked but she didn't say anything else so I went home back home went to my gynecologist and I said look I just have this and she said oh okay and he said no you have to go tomorrow to St James's to get a checked and I said oh okay so they did loads of bloods and tests and that was very stressful and then in the end they said okay we need a biopsy that biopsy waiting time was awful because it was during, the, actually it was a May bank holiday. So just after I came back from Italy. So it was the end of April, I suppose. I was back home. It was that bank holiday. Oh, it was awful. It was the waiting. But I knew, I kind of knew what it was. So by the time they had prepared me, you know, it could be lymphoma. But then we just need to do a biopsy to confirm. They were very, very cautious because I was pregnant. Mm. I was carrying a child. So they didn't want me to go through traumatic stress. So that Although I did. And then they rang me with the results and they said, you have an appointment with oncology department. So when I, uh, they didn't say anymore. They said, come in next week, you have an appointment to review your results with the oncology department. So I said, yeah, that's it. Because you wouldn't be sent to the oncology. like your mind races at Mm -hmm. that time. You're like, right, why am I sent to the oncology department? You don't go there for reviewing a results if it's not cancer. So I was like, yeah, it is, it is. And my husband tried to calm me down. He said, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, they'll go through everything. You know, don't worry. But look, of course you worry. And they let you wait. It was a whole week before I had to wait to see them. So then it went through and they told me. So obviously, you know, it was clear. But I knew it before because some of the consultants were like, yeah, this is, this is what it could be. Some of them were a bit harsh on me. And, you know, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's fine. Yeah, it's treatable. So, yeah, I was like, no, that's not the way you tell somebody, you know, but the rest of the consultants were really good and just explained, look, it's very treatable. You get your chemo, you got it at the stage. So basically you can get it started on the head, obviously head, the neck, and it developed in the thymus. Very common to go Where's down. Where's the thymus? Here. So it's just down. under your throat. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thymus gland. It's a part of your immune system. So it spreads, but thankfully it didn't spread anywhere else. So I was good because it could have gone to other lymph nodes and then I would have had to get radio and localized radio, so that could have impacted fertility and all sorts of things. So
1: But you couldn't have chemo until you gave birth. Is that right?
0: Yes. The option they gave me, so then they diagnosed me and they said, You can have chemo now, but still carries some risks, or you have it after birth. And I said, No, I'm not having chemo now. They said it's a very slow progression still. And I was at that time I was thirty. 34 weeks so I gave birth at 36 then so I said sorry it was 32 actually so I waited about three four weeks and I said no just let me wait until the last the closest I could give birth that wouldn't affect the child so I didn't want to go too early so 36 is a good time because c-section at 36 is very common so Mm -hmm. I said please let me go to 36 weeks and they said fine so,
1: and you're what 29 years of age,
0: just 30. Yeah, 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 because it was 2016. Yeah, just 30. It's common though to get around that age,
1: it is a major, major thing for a woman from being surrounded by women. It's a major thing, your first pregnancy, yeah, and then to find out that you've cancer, yeah, and then you put off your cancer treatment
0: because of my child, of child. Yeah, yeah yeah and i said no i'm not putting any drugs into my body when the child is still in, inside me so i made the decision no i'm waiting 36 weeks to have a c section which because from my studies from my reading and from obviously asking some expert and the gynecologist said 36 is really safe and it was 36 is fine mm. But before that, you know, you're risking other complication in the child. So I said, let's do 36. I did all my research.
1: (laughs) How quickly then did the chemotherapy start after you gave birth?
0: One week after the section. So I was still quite raw and sore. I remember sitting in that chair. I still had my pains. You still obviously had your pains and, you know, you're quite raw after a week of the section. Yeah, a week after I started. So that was a big, that was quick
1: and I presume you can't breastfeed or anything once you no, start chemo.
0: No. But I think the whole experience was very positive. So I wasn't a stress. They really looked after me. I had a lovely room, some lovely nurses. And I think that made a difference. And did
1: you go home at all? Or were you in the hospital? In the hospital, all the time? yeah.
0: Well, you're there anyway after C section. You have to stay there for a certain number of days. But they kept me there for the whole week. And uh, no, I didn't go home then. And they brought me to the chemo the day as well so they brought me with the ambulance as well to do the chemo with me and my husband so they were really supportive and the care I got was brilliant which really helped during the process.
1: Uh, How long was the therapy then?
0: Six months of chemo and then during chemo you're still very worried because you don't you don't know how it's going to go is the treatment going to work because they don't tell you until your first scan so you're always waiting for that PET scan how is that PET scan? How is it going to be clear? Is it going to be okay? Which it was, obviously. But is the waiting around. You're getting your treatment, but you don't know if it's going to work. And it's always the unknown. Obviously, going through all the postpartum and all the rest. See, <laughs> healing, trying to mind a baby and all of that. So I think the distraction was great, though. Yeah. But yes, six months and then there is a possibility of radiation as well. Thankfully, I didn't need to do it because my system responded very well and my cancer shrunk really fast. And the disease, they call it the disease, non active disease by the first PET scan. So, all went, I suppose they call it as protocol, but my response was really good. My white blood cells never went below a certain amount and I had a great response.
1: And was there cancer in your family?
0: No, no history of any sort of cancer or lymphoma for sure no history no out of the blue
1: we don't know really how it happens do we In
0: terms of lymphoma there's a couple of studies saying it could be exposure to toxins but it's it's hard they don't know what it where it came from so it could be anything that but generally i do know now um because i've done a few testing as well that I don't clear toxins very well from my system. So could be virus as well. So I could have been exposed. With Hodgkin's lymphoma is the Epstein-Barr virus that tends to be, there's a strong link with infection, pre-infections, which I would have had two years before. So that could make possibly a sense. But I think when you have cancer, you're trying to find your answers. Mm. And sometimes there's just not going to be answers for you. So it just happened.
1: And you have to get checkups then every so often?
0: I've now finished my yearly checkup because before, for six years, you have to do them. They kind of reduce in frequency every year. So the first two years, I would have gone every three months and then they reduced them to twice a year. And then finally, now I'm over all checks up. So I'm clear, basically. Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's good, a good feeling.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And then you had another boy.
0: yes, and then uh, I suppose the worry of not being able to get pregnant again was the worry with me. I said, "Okay, will I be able?" Because they did offer all the, you know, they can stop your cycle as well during chemo to preserve your eggs. There was a number of options, and I just said, "No, no, I just, I just can't be doing anything like that because I just gave birth as well." So um, yeah, thankfully, all was fine, and second boy.
1: What What's the age difference between them? Two years, well, only
0: two years. Yeah. And I remember my mom saying, that's too early because she was worried because they say you have to wait two years before chemo. I have to disagree on that depending on the health of the person, which I was really healthy. I recovered really well. And I said, no, I'm not waiting, you know, two years, obviously two years because he was born then. So it was before two years after chemo. Yeah, just before. So
1: do you think you recovered well because... You were lucky or do you think that's all the work you did before you were ever diagnosed with cancer in terms of how well you looked after yourself?
0: I never say lucky. There's not such a word being lucky because it's all the work that you put in into things, even in business, when they say, oh, you're lucky to be where you are. No, it's not luck. (laughs) It's all your hard work. Yes. And I think where I am now, even it's because of all my work, because obviously I followed a protocol during chemo to protect my immune system and make sure I didn't go that low. And I followed a really good diet, as usual, but even more. I did a number of things. They really helped. So it's not luck. It's my work that I did it in the past They helped me to go through chemo, but also afterwards, all the healing that went on after and really, really put a lot of work into it. No, it's not luck. It's the work. There's so much you can do to help you going through treatment in the best possible way.
1: So you were into nutrition, you had an interest in nutrition before you got pregnant and before then you were diagnosed with cancer. Then you're trying to, you're a new mom and you're in your recovery and but at the same time you're trying to find your feet and get back into nutrition. So talk to us about that period and when was the hunger there to kind of become your own businesswoman?
0: So I'm a fully qualified nutritional therapist and I graduated in 2014. So that's when I started I suppose I was practicing before that a little bit because I used to work in a health shop, a lovely local health shop in Newbridge, and now unfortunately closed down. But while I was studying, I was working as I was doing more kind of dietary coaching before I got my full, because nutritional therapy is three and a half years. So it's the more advanced, I suppose, diploma course. From 2014, I went on fully with the business, so, but I was still working in the health shop. So I did half and half obviously as most people do until you settle into the business you need to have some sort of backup both financially but also for you to have something so 2014 so that was two years not even two years then I had to stop yeah so I I just said I actually resigned myself from the job because I was still employed I was only on maternity leave and I had to resign myself I said I'm actually can't do it so I'm I just have to resign so because I knew then I wasn't able to come back in six months. I said, no, I'm just want to give myself a full chance of recovery. There's no way I'm able to come back here in six months. Mm. So it was very emotional because I was there seven years in the health shop. Yeah, it was a lovely health shop. And she was shocked. Obviously, when I told her, she was like, you, you of all, you got cancer. She said, no, I don't believe it. She was like, no. So the shop closed down then now recently but yeah I had to resign. I said no I just give you my letter because I won't come back in 6 months. There's no way I can come back. I need at least a year anyway to recover after chemo. So that's what I did. I had a great time I you know spent with my obviously Michael. We did loads of things and I had the energy. So that was the main thing. So we went strolling around the park. Then my mom was here quite a bit as well so we went for loads of walks and tours and, you know, more than I ever do now, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, It was a great time. And then I got pregnant then with Matthew very soon, obviously. You know, he's only, there's only two years of a difference. So it was good. But then how did I decide to come back? That was the question. Mm. I felt I missed something. So I felt I was getting stuck into the mammy world and... I just want to do something for myself because after all the struggles and because I gave so much, like I always want to give so much to my children. But at the same time, I felt I wasn't giving me enough time and to do the things I like. And work is one of them as well, because it keeps women sane. It really, I think moms for moms is really important to work. It's great to look after your kids, but for your mental health, to even I would say, even when we were working from home during COVID, just get out of the house and go to the office. That's your time. It just feels so good. But you're not neglecting your kids. You're just you're just looking after your health as well. So that's what I did. I said I think it's time now, and that was during COVID.
1: So you started up the business during COVID, then?
0: I went back during COVID. Yeah, the end of 2021, I started with the Instagram page. I didn't know what to do with Instagram. <laughs> My friend kept saying, "You have to go on Instagram." Like. I don't know how it works. I'm good on Facebook. Saying, ah, don't leave Facebook. Go on Instagram. I was like, but how how do I do these stories and things? <laughs> and then it just took off. It yeah. just took off like that. I was like, followers. What are these followers? Do I have to follow back? Or it was just so I I wasn't used to it. But then I started Instagram. And I started my business slowly back to it. But I had loads of connection, I suppose, with years of working in the health store and in the health industry. It's 10 years at this stage. So I had loads of connections already. So but still, you're getting back to business after being on maternity. It's very hard to even get to the mentality of, oh, I'm working. I'm back to work now. It was difficult at the start. But. I think the first year I didn't struggle as much because my husband was working. So it was kind of more like, okay, I think there's a different mindset when you go back to business and you know there is a backup all the time. It's a completely different mindset to your business. When you do it for a living, you're obviously more driven and you do it, I think you do it better because you're focused onto that and you know you have to do it because it's your living. Mm -hmm. But before, I think the first year was like, "Oh, okay, I know if I don't get enough, it's fine," you know. But then it got real. (laughs) It is for a living now, so it's full time. So I went back completely full time middle of last year, full time, not part time. 2022. Yeah, completely full time. (laughs) That was hard. I have to say,
1: hard because you were so busy. Is it?
0: I got really busy all of a sudden. That's why I had to go full time then because. It just wouldn't work to do part time anymore. I had to refuse clients. I just said, look, for me, it was unprofessional to keep going and say part time, although I was getting full time hours. So I said, look, I'll do it full time. So that was the end of March, April last year, completely full time. So
1: and how did you go from just starting a business, trying to get a customer in the door to being extremely busy that you have to go full time with the business? How, how did you get to that?
0: Okay, I'll answer with one word, connections. Connection made in a very genuine way and just be yourself because I've always been myself. I've never been greedy as that's the right word in English. And I've always been myself and made the connection more so as a friendship or because I really liked the person and the energy that person had. What is connections? To be honest, I didn't do a lot of marketing. I actually didn't do any marketing. I did my website very late with the lovely video on my website. <laughs> so I started that quite late. I didn't do the marketing bit first. Most people do the marketing bit, promotion, and then they get the business. For me, it was the other way around. It was just the connections for me that the just referrals and people just obviously collaboration with, I'm collaborating with now, but it was connections. Yeah. So the
1: collaborations online work, do they?
0: Collaborations well, yes, online but also with other healthcare professionals. Yeah, the collaboration. Obviously, I'm with an osteopath clinic there. That's my main clinic in Port Leash, Active Body Clinic. And yeah, myself and Donica get on really well. And we work really well together as well because it really complements what we can do for our clients. So that's one of them. Then I have a new one in Dublin now, so um in Roche so there's a lot going on. Yeah. But it's I have to say is the power of connection there's I always say there's no matter what how much marketing you do, it's who you are and how you present yourself but how true you are to people too yeah just I've mm-hmm. always been through i I don't like hiding anything or being sneaky or and people know that, but more importantly is the how I look after these clients because mm-hmm. obviously these clients now are promoting the world too obviously that's your my referral too so and I've always been very client-centered.
1: And it's the experience as well that people get, you know, like if they enjoyed their time with you, like I always say to the crew here at GK Media that it's more important for me the experience, the aftertaste, the feeling that people have of working with us rather than the end product. Whereas I know most businesses it's all about the end product. What they get delivered for me? It's more focus needs to be on the experience working with us and then that they're happy with the product because like we would someone into us recently looking for us to do a big campaign for them and i was like oh yeah you know, where'd you hear about us? how'd you hear about us?" and she goes no it's actually someone who you worked with before who recommended that i come in and talk to you and it's true it doesn't matter how much marketing you do it really is people out there as ambassadors for you yeah. spreading the word and then i know that your hobby was going cracked <laughs> which on instagram and doing stories and because he doesn't come from the world of social media either. And he's like, Gary, yeah, you tell her, you tell her. You know? I was like, mm, it kind of does work. <laughs> you have a great following online and you're always putting content up online. I don't know where you find the time. I feel guilty. <laughs> but how has that worked for you? And for someone starting out in business, do you think, you know, being active on a social media channel like Instagram works? Does it, does it bring clients in the door? Where is the benefit?
0: I think it works it depends on your business. So it really depends on what the type of your business is and your client type. So it might not work for all all businesses, but for me, I suppose I opened that page more from a personal perspective and connection. So I connected with so many businesses, friends and People in general. So I have a big garden community. That's how I met my friends, you know, my garden community friends, which gardening is another thing that kept me going through COVID. Gardening. Gardening, yeah, okay. yeah. Gardening, growing vegetables, gardening in general, yeah. And I have a big community. That's how I start the community on Instagram. And obviously, the you know, the cooking uh, side things. But it is a business and it isn't as well. So for me, it worked because I was just me. So I just come on some days with no makeup or it was just me. So people connected through me and then obviously they know now what I do, what I offer. But again, it's that touch of being you. Expose yourself a little bit as well and show people that life is it's not always, you know, all the positives all the time. You know, you have the up and downs and yeah, there's all that part of normal life and people resonate with that and they feel like, right, she's normal as well. You know, she's one of us. It's not like she's She's different, you know, she does what we do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so I think that really helped. But yeah, I say it can work really well. LinkedIn certainly work for part of my business and then Instagram work for private clients. Yeah,
1: because you do the one-on-one thing with individuals, but then you'd go in and you do like wellbeing workshops for the corporates out there.
0: Yeah, I do, yeah.
1: And that's a big area for the corporate industry now as well. Like two big issues for companies today are recruitment and retainment. Yes. And employers are now having to make their business a much more attractive proposition for an employee than their competitors. To and actually, yeah. And it's bringing in like health, you know, like bringing in maybe pensions and health insurance, but also having well-being initiatives taking place, focusing on sustainability. Like these are all the important things. Yeah. It helps them when someone like you can go in and say, don't be eating that for lunch. This is what you should be pre-cooking or whatever. There's a reason why I don't do those workshops. Obviously, I don't have the terminology.
0: (laughs) But basically, yes. Well, I work with corporates. Yes, that's a good part of my work as well. So one-to-one workshops and corporates. Yes, so corporate well-being. I did a lot of cooking events as well over Zoom during COVID and health talks. So that's what I do. But I do well-being programs as part of the team, I suppose, to support the team. And I think it's really important to have that in a company, in every company should have that. The cooking events were born as a um, recreational kind of thing, you know, on a Friday. do the Italian, obviously Italian. I'm recruited for the Italian (laughs)
1: dishes.
0: (laughs) Italian dishes, kind of more vegetarian options and, you know, just properly cooked. We talked about olive oil, of course, Mm. olive oil and all these things. And they just loved it. That was my biggest kind of corporate work, which is with a big food company in Ireland. They're one of my clients. But we really enjoyed it. And I did the health talk as well. So talking about gut health, for example.
1: Yeah, which is really important, isn't it?
0: Yes, for immune, immunity as well. So uh, you don't want staff getting sick either. So boosting the immune system with gut health. And I did blood sugar, so their energy levels stable throughout the day. I did a couple of topics. They really liked them. Mm. But now, suppose the biggest one is menopause. So every business is, is focusing a lot of that part of health and well being. But yes, a big part of my work would be corporate work. Yes,
1: very good. I was talking to a friend yesterday who is starting out in business for the first time ever they were always an employee and now they're starting out in business setting up their own company and she was saying to me that she just she's amazed at how hard it is running your own business from doing the marketing the accounting the networking the job itself she was really surprised a little bit overwhelmed probably a little bit scared of the intensity of it i don't think people realize that it's Bloody tough.
0: Yes, agree. 100 150% on that.
1: And it's not saying that to massage, saying, oh, you know, we're great, aren't we? It's, it's like it's, there's so many sacrifices.
0: Yes. And then when you're starting out, especially because people say, oh, just delegate, delegate. But when you're starting out, you don't have the finances. Who are you delegating to if yeah. you're on your own? <laughs> and then you're on your own, exactly. Yeah. But like, you don't even have the finances to have everybody, oh, I get this person to do this. You don't. You just have to do it yourself. And then when you grow, you can afford then to expand and then say, okay, well, what can I take off my shoulder? But for me, I think social media was one of them. I'm me, so I can't have. Mm. It's me. I have to be my presence on social media. So but that takes a lot of work. I think each post are real. There's so much work. There's research. There's editing. There's filming. Filming is actually the easiest one sometimes, but there's editing. There's posting at the right time sharing and commenting responding Mm -hmm. that's another full-time job I can say that sometimes I felt it took a lot out of me I have to say so there was a time where I had to really pause all my posting because it was just getting on top of me because it was so busy with my clients and I said well what's really important here you know I need to look after my clients now but yeah that's tough and all the marketing you do that all yourself marketing And decisions, I find sometimes, I think that's one of the hardest parts sometimes for me because I'm a very empathetic person. So sometimes in business, you have to be cold. You have to be, yes, I like that person, but sometimes you have to be cold. You have to just make that decision because at the end of the day is bringing you the money to sustain your life, to live. And it's your living. Mm. So sometimes I had to make hard decisions and say, no. The learning to say no, it's a difficult one. Yeah, absolutely. But say no to certain things. I'm like, no, that's just draining me. It's not bringing me anywhere. So in business, you have to be tough sometimes. And that is difficult. So you learn that with experience.
1: And did you have people saying, oh, will you come and do this event? Now, we've no money, but it'll be great exposure.
0: Yes. Yes loads of times. That's all I did in the first year was free things. I don't mind doing them because I think they're great for awareness and just to get your name out there. But there's only so much free stuff you can do. And I think people don't appreciate you as much when you do free things. That's the reality of things. Because if I see free event happening too many times I'm like they don't appreciate you as much but at the same time I don't like either overcharging or you know I'm honest I'm quite honest with everything I do so I, that's part of the success as well being honest and true to yourself and to other people for what you offer so be true to what you offer be very clear of what you can do what you can not do because I can't do everything and I think that's the most important thing so set healthy boundaries with your clients or potential collaborators very healthy boundaries because there's only so much you can take because you have your own life and your family and you just have to say stop and just breathe in and say okay this is actually taking me so much time and it's bringing me a lot of stress so that was difficult now
1: I think it's important what you're talking about there because our relationship started off by my wife and you becoming friends and then you and I became friends and then we did a video with you and the table has turned now because you know, you've been working with me over the the last 12 months or so in helping me have a more healthier, balanced diet or whatever the terminology is. I suppose the reality and the fact is we're 10 years in business this year. And, you know, people think, oh, once you're that long in business, you've made it. As the business owner, you can never have that feeling. But last year on the books, financially, it was a great year. But I was just stressed. And I think it was just a buildup of over the years of, you know, trying to get the business up and going, trying to get clients fighting for business, trying to innovate. And during COVID. Like, I remember there was a period where I'd be going to bed at maybe 11 there was sometimes 1 a.m. I could be going to bed and I'd be up again at 4 a.m. And then like I was getting sick really easily. I remember my wrist from just being on the mouse, editing on the computer like I had massive pains all up through my arms. Getting headaches, getting bloodshot eyes. Like I was really, really running myself into the ground. And it carried on a lot last year. And I was going to the GP and I was getting various blood tests. And I didn't want to go down the road of being on medication for my entire life, which is, you know, often the suggestion that's made is the primary suggestion that's made. And it's an easy solution. Mm. And I got in touch and I said, Virginia, you have to help me because things are just going (laughs) bad health wise so i had issues with like triglyceride levels were high and there's like fattiness in the liver and i I remember being happy at the time when i found out it's non-alcoholic fatty liver disease so it's like okay well the drink hasn't done any damage (laughs) that's good like (laughs) i wasn't bold so that's good but yeah just the diet like a lot of salt i was like i'd go home And I'd open up one of those big bags of crisps and I'd just be munching away. And all this is happening while dinner is being cooked. So Mm. I was coming home in the evening starving and then I was eating crap. And then I'd be so tired after the day from not having proper meals that after dinner I was snacking again. And I'd be on, you know, I'd be taking sugary stuff. So I might have a glass or two of wine and then I went back into the chocolate again. So if I was going to bed, I'd be wired with sugar. So I wasn't falling asleep properly. Then I was waking up and I was tired in the morning. Then I was having coffee and I was having sugar again to get going for the day, and it was just this constant cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you came in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope I helped. Magic wand.
0: (laughs) I hope I helped. (laughs) Yeah, no, I
1: remember uh, the day that the the GP did the bloods because I was kind of getting the bloods because we were trying different things to see what was working. So we were doing the bloods maybe every twelve weeks, and he rang me up one day and he was just like, "I can't believe your results." everything is just completely flipped the other way from negative to positive. And it was great because he, he was very proactive and he was a, what I loved about my GP is he wanted to work with you on this, whereas other GPs would be like, I'm in medical school for X amount of years and I know it all and I'm telling you what you need to do. He was and he was like, okay, let's work with Virginia and see what we can do. And it was great because all I was doing was supplements, but also just learning to eat properly yeah. and know the triggers that makes me want to start eating salty stuff or sugary stuff and the hard thing was that there's no quick solution there's no magic bill no nope. it's it's a process it's a journey you looking at this amazing healthy looking uh, <laughs> mammal in front of you now <laughs> your perspective I mean you've probably come across people like myself a lot over the years what's your take on it when you see these people coming in it's like okay can you make me three stone lighter or
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of work on the actual mindset. So actually already be very clear at the start. And that's why my sessions are three sessions. There's a whole reason for that. And I explain why they're scheduled in three sessions, because you get nothing done in one session. You get to start, but then even for your own motivation, you're not even driven to actually, you know, further to do the two sessions. But yeah, I've seen certainly in a lot of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, a lot of it, actually, over the past few years.
1: And is that stress related or is it just people just don't know how to eat properly anymore?
0: Yeah, it can be. Small part is genetic, but fatty liver, yeah, it's diet, a lot of diet related stress. Yes, definitely stress. But it's a lot of dietary related issues. Just the fat build up in the liver. The liver get congested and it just stores all the fat and then it starts to damage the liver. Now, it can be genetic too. You can have very lean people with non-alcoholic fatty liver, but still, is the diet can do so much for, like we've seen it anyway, so much that can be done. But the supplements were very targeted, obviously. The, the dosages, the types, the formulations, they were all very targeted. Yeah,
1: when to take them during the day, what to take them with.
0: When, how, the dosage, and change them. I think the whole thing I would like to stress is the timing, so changing things. So if something didn't work, we explore other avenues. So that is the point of, Trying to figure out where is it coming from? Where is the root cause of your health concern? That's what I always say. Mm -hmm. The root cause. I've seen them a lot. You know, these issues would be, if not daily, weekly anyway, these type of metabolic issues.
1: And I suppose you're probably unfortunately meeting people when they've had a situation like they've diabetes or they're on the verge of it or they've had a heart attack or they're told that they're on the verge of it it's when people are near a big problem or have just had one that then the awakening happens and they said, "Okay, what I've been doing for so many years is not good for me anymore.
0: Yes, I see people, unfortunately, well, some of them, thanks to the referrals and thanks to the awareness, come at the right time. Like I had women come in and say, no, I just want to look after myself during my hormones. I'm in perimenopause. What can I do? And that's great. When you get these Clients are like, okay, well, that is brilliant. You can do so much for them, but then at the same time, their mindset is brilliant because they know, right, there's nothing particularly wrong now, but I want to not make it happen, not Mm -hmm. to have anything wrong. I don't get many of them, unfortunately. I get a few, but the most of them that I get would be in chronic situations where they've tried everything. They've been on so many medications. They've been doing so many tests and everything was normal, but they still haven't got to the bottom of what was causing their issues. Unfortunately, diet was probably never mentioned to them over the years during medications, tests, trials, whatever they went through. And then when we, when we go through the diet and really go through everything, then they can change. They feel so much better and the issues start to resolve because you actually know what's causing the issue in the first place. Like the medical system is great because it's acute health care. So when you're sick, you go there and you get help and you feel better. But the prevention is missing a lot. So I get the clients when they're really late in advance, sick. And unfortunately, sometimes they the, the diet as well. You know, so they come and I had clients that died as well. So, well, not after my recommendations, <laughs> but <laughs> <You better laughs> that's a bad on, marketing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I had them. Yeah, they were already sick. It's not so much you can do when you're that advanced and they passed away. So unfortunately, another occasion where they had a heart attack as well, but thankfully, the recovery was much better. So I get all sorts of clients, very complicated, because I suppose if you think about it, you have these issues for so long, they're not going to be the usual. They were probably easier at the beginning of the issues, mm. but they've developed into other things. Secondary infections, secondary damage, uh, gut damage. And But I, what I find a lot is a lot of gut problems, 100% gut, gut issues because that's your immune system. It controls your mood, it controls your brain function so much. And that's, I always start with the gut, I say. Always starts from the gut. Yeah, and then go with your gut
1: feeling. Yes,
0: go with your gut feeling, yeah.
1: From doing the sessions with you, I understand how complicated the whole process is. Mm. You know, you could think you're eating healthy, but your body could be deficit in something that you're not even aware of or... As you said, your gut could be the issue or there could be an issue with your liver or it could be hormone levels, could be your cortisol. You know, there's there's so, so much to it. And I would encourage people to get their bloods done regularly, at least once a year, because it does give a great insight in and flags things that, you know, the earlier you get them, the quicker you can get a a solution. And hopefully, you know, what can be a, a short term journey to create a long term solution. You
0: know, yeah, definitely get your bloods done and ask for as much as you can, as much of the markers being tested and get your checkups for women, for men and women. So get your smears, get all your testing done and go to them regularly. And don't be afraid of requesting tests. It's, mm. You're not being, you know, uh, you're not being annoying. but You want to know. Like my dad, there's a history of colon cancer in my family. So my dad in Italy has been screened quite a lot. Like obviously now it's once a year. And I'm now on the age group where I need to be starting this screening. I'm only 36, but it starts when you have a genetic predisposition, you have to start very young because it's just the development of polyps and you have to monitor them. So I'm a candidate for that. So that is looking at your predisposition, your genetics, your health history and your family history. Because my dad, obviously, they do find polyps on both sides of my dad's family. They're always polyps to be removed. So... They're removed now and they keep monitoring them at the right time. So there's a reason for the routine test. There's a reason for that. So I definitely say attend all the testing that you can, well, through the medical system, if there's anything that needs to be checked. I do some testing as well myself that can get you to know, understand more about your genetics, predispositions and et cetera.
1: What should people be doing more of health wise or food wise? (laughs)
0: <laughs> good questions yeah it's kind of generic but it's a good question so definitely eating more probiotic food i would start there
1: what would be probiotic
0: probiotic is basically the good bacteria that when we're stressed and when we eat not particularly well or number of circumstances they get depleted so the good bacteria protect us the immune system so we don't get sick often They protect us from brain health, you know, from mental well-being. They protect our liver. They protect everything, our digestive system. So if there was one thing I would say is my kefir. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm a big fan of kefir. That's a probiotic. But then you also need your prebiotics, which is the food for these bacteria, basically. So there are two different things. So prebiotics is fiber. And a lot of people don't eat enough fiber in their diet. So that's another thing. The good fibre, though, you know, so like even nuts, seeds, all the good and from vegetables. So the skin of the apples, the skin of your carrots, that's the good fibre that a lot of people saw. We're getting all these processed foods, there's nothing in them, you know, very little fibre. So looking at fibre.
1: So you shouldn't skin your carrots, should you? No, No,
0: because carrots have a compound that helps to eliminate oestrogen for women. But in general they have a particular pectin they have in their skin that helps remove toxins from the gut for example okay mm. cool. and apples are the same the actual skin of the apple is really good for the gut so these are all kind of food for your bacteria so you're feeding the bacteria basically because they need to eat
1: <laughs> but really we should be getting our carrots and our apples from like our local markets yeah. Because if they're coming in from Uh, Chile or Spain, they're getting sprayed, aren't they?
0: Yes, organic, obviously. If you're eating the skin, I always say you need to get them organic because you're eating the pesticides otherwise and chemicals. Yeah, has to be organic when you eat the skin anyway. Or some of the vegetables, you can peel them, but you're still going to get some of them inside.
1: It's not that you're busy enough. You decide to start up something else. So Barrowview Market Garden is another. Well, maybe probably started as a hobby, but it's now a, a business where you have... Your back garden, and I'm so jealous because I've I'm grown up in quite uh, an urban area. You know, everyone is kind of basically living on top of each other. But you just have this massive field. I don't know, is that an acre of land or something behind your house?
0: An acre and a half, 155. Five.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's just full of apple trees, pear trees, cherry trees, loads of vegetables, polytunnels. You have hens, so you have lovely fresh eggs. You literally have this massive supply of fresh produce from your soil at home. What you're doing now is, I suppose, initially it was part of dinner, so you'd pluck some vegetables and start cooking away in the kitchen. But now you're actually distributing these foods in bags throughout your community and beyond because people, you've depots in Dublin as well where people can get this fresh produce. Again, going back to what I was saying of, it's so important for people to actually go down to the local farmer's market or something and actually get stuff that came out of soil and is in season, as we were talking about earlier.
0: Yes, for sure. Yeah, it started as, as a hobby and then kind of more during COVID and then, you know, started to grow more and then we wanted more variety, just more so as a, even as a, you know, mindset or, you know, your mental health getaway. But I, we're so interested always being in growing different varieties and try different things But then I suppose, yes, it turned into a business.
1: And you give people ideas of what they can cook with the the foods in the bags. So recipes and stuff, which is really cool. Recipes
0: and we have the members. So Barview would have members that sign up for the membership or we have once-off bags, but most now are members for the winter, which is great. They're very happy and they're they're saying they've never seen the freshest produce (laughs) because it's always been harvested early in the morning time. So it's fresh on the day.
1: I always love visiting you in Canter because I always come home with a goodie bag. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's it, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, and yes. It,
1: when I went to Italy and I tasted tomatoes for the first time initially, I was like, oh my, this is how they're supposed to taste? They're so different. Mm. It's amazing when you eat fresh produce that it's supposed to grow in that area and secondly, is in season yes. and thirdly, is fresh. It's amazing quality. Because again, like I, I spoke to a friend who's, involved in strength conditioning and he was saying like he's done loads of studies into food as well and he said you know that nutritional density in food today compared to 60 years ago it's not there anymore there's a massive difference we're not really getting the nutrients we need from food
0: no not at all it has changed and the soil are depleted so there's very little magnesium yeah, there's not much quality left in the conventional, yeah. So I'd encourage as many also starting to grow their own if they can. But even people, we have people to grow their own and still buy our veg because obviously we're able to grow with the space. So mm. we're able to grow more. Um, but I always encourage to start growing their own. And then eventually down the line, yeah, we'll do the grow your own courses and all of that. There's loads of projects for Barrowview, review. Loads of things happening as well. Can't reveal them yet. But yeah. Very exciting.
1: So you're you're at that really exciting phase now.
0: Yes. If I can say exci- stressful, exciting. Yes, I am. Yeah.
1: And how do you deal with the stress then?
0: Yeah. How? A good question. So I just be organized. So I organize myself. So every week I sit down on a Sunday and say, right, so this is the week. how the week is going to go. What food am I going to eat even myself and cook for my kids, for my house and organize my schedule. So every day I'll have, right, Monday is for clients and that's all I'm doing is this. Tuesday is for Instagram, is for cooking, for example. Then I know Tuesday I'm not getting distracted. Well, obviously life is life. So Mm. if something happens, you will get distracted. But having a routine and also for my own, I think the hardest part was not giving enough time to my own self-care, which was even trying to do some exercise, look after myself, just switch off. I wasn't given enough time to that. It was more like work, 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 work and leaving that. And that can increase stress. So I said, no, there's a better way of doing this. So you you will find though with the years you learn and you know which activities are draining your energy and which activity are actually productive and to be more focused. But it's down to diet as well. If you eat well and what you're meant to be eating for your body, you feel energy, you have concentration. You can exercise and then hopefully, touch wood, not getting sick often. So these all play a part in productivity. So I I thank a lot my diet to how I manage my stress as well. But yeah, looking after and then have your time as well. So that's how you manage stress. Switch off. When you switch off, you switch off from all perspective. It's hard when you're your own boss because, you know, there always be opportunities. Have to reply to a text you have to yeah it's always but you have to make the time mm-hmm. for yourself that's the only way you're going to de-stress and manage your stress well but be organized i say with one of the best things you know just write down have a journal or whatever you want to write it down for the week or a month if you can to a month for me i can't do a month there's so much going yeah, on yeah. but yeah that's how
1: Well, Virginia, thank you so much for joining us in Gary Talks today. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for sharing your story. I think it'll help a lot of people. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Gary, for having me.
1: And if people want to follow Virginia online, she is on Instagram and she's very active on Instagram. And so give her a like, give her a follow. And she's also on LinkedIn as well. And I would say anyone from a corporate perspective who want to get Virginia in to maybe run some workshops or do some online cooking demonstrations or talks or anything like that, go to LinkedIn and you can also head over to our website, virginiashealthcorner.ie. And if people just want to do one-on-one sessions with her as well, like I was doing because I'm in Galway and you're in Kildare, we were doing it on Zoom. So that's easily achievable. It's great. It doesn't actually need to be in person to be telling someone that you're eating 14 bags of crisps every (laughs) week. (laughs) And so, yeah, Virginia, I just like you're a great friend and I just love seeing your business grow. And, you know, it reminds me of what excites me about business when you're coming up with new ideas and you're scaling and you're growing and you're trying different things and you have a wonderful family. Thank you. You bring the best wine ever from Sardinia to me. (laughs) Uh,
0: That's not for sale.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for joining me on Gary Talks and continued success.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Thanks again to Virginia for joining me in GK Media Studios. If you can support her in any way, that would be great, as it's by supporting the smaller businesses that we all benefit again her website is virginiashealthcorner.ie thank you for listening and you can support the show as always by telling your friends about gary talks and you can connect with me directly by following gary talks on instagram linkedin and tiktok have a great week and i look forward to talking to you again on friday for a short bonus episode of business bites take care